How you doing? I'm Doug Devaney and you're listening to the Plastic Podcasts, tales of the Irish diaspora, we all come from somewhere else. Find out about us and subscribe at www.plasticpodcasts.com. You're listening to the Plastic Podcasts minicast, the first part of my interview with Neve Lear. Neve Lear is a third-year PhD student at Newcastle University and is currently looking at the curious phenomenon of passport paddies. It also turns out that she and I share a curious familial bond. But the first thing I want to know is, what the heck is human geography? I like to think of geography as the subject that uses all the other subjects to try and describe the world. Um, And human geography is concerned with more human than physical geography, so population, migration, um, development. And there's so many, anything that you can kind of argue is to do with space. And like there's some wonderful, wonderful PhDs in our department, um, ranging from like uh, green activism to toilets and toilet usage. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a very broad subject, a very broad subject. That's why I like it. It kind of gives you a lot of freedom. And how did you get into studying human geography? I loved geography at school. Geography was my favourite subject and I kept going with it when I was trying to decide what I wanted to study at university. Um, for my undergraduate, geography was kind of the, the obvious choice. So I ended up studying geography at Newcastle. I've, I've stayed at Newcastle the whole way through and then I've ended up doing a master's and a PhD and we're, we're still here. Well, back in the, back in the days when, uh, when, when I was... Um... Uh, when I was at school and we were still using slate. Um, geography was a fairly dry stu- a dry subject to be taught. I mean, so I go, what was it that fascinated you about it? I, I mean, I was good at it, which I think always helps, especially when you're like 13, 14 years old, like something that you find easy helps. But as I got older and into it a bit more, I, I just, it was the breadth and the fact that I felt like you were so free to study or look at pretty much anything with us it was just coloring in maps you see and that loses its its sheen very very quickly I do really love like colored in things I'm huge on my highlighter collections and I feel like that is fostered within geography quite nicely I can have like an insane collection of pens and there's less judgment than there would be if I was doing maths so you decided to look at the human geography particularly where the diaspora was concerned I did yeah um that's a funny story, actually. I, it was my second year of university and I picked Newcastle specifically because I could do physical geography and human geography on the one course. And a lot of places it's separate. So you either do human or physical. Um, and I was determined I wanted to do both. And in my second year, I had picked some physical geography modules and there was one particular one that required me to go on a field trip and be in um like waders in a river on my birthday and I decided that wasn't for me so switched and the only uh, module I could switch to was um social geographies and I like stroll into this lecture theater um the day I switched not really knowing where it was or what I was doing and there was a lecture being given by um a teaching fellow at the university um called Michael Richardson and he was talking about like um, how we're disabled by environments and things like that. And then at the end, he spoke about his PhD research, um, which was on Irish masculinities in Tyneside. And I was like, oh, you can, you can study Irishness. No. Um, and then I went to go and talk to him about it. And then I did my 
undergraduate dissertation on it and he supervised it and fast forward what five years and he's my supervisor for my PhD it's all his fault why did it surprise you that Irishness could be studied I guess it just never really occurred to me that there was a body of work looking at that like as I said like now I'm I, I'm, I'm always floored and excited by the breadth of research that's being done um, in geography, sociology, and, and politics more, more broadly. Um, but like, especially back then, it had never occurred to me that like people were looking at things like the Irish diaspora. And I'm like, I was just fascinated that that, that, that was a thing. And I think it, it's, as a member of that community, it's always been something that's really interested me. And there's been so many questions that I have about why things are the way they are or why my lived reality is different from someone else who's got a similar heritage to me and I wanted to know why and it sort of it gave me the space to figure it out um so in many ways it's a completely self-indulgent project um but you know that's okay <laughs> you say that but you did a 10 minute presentation um that um this the, the way the reason I, I first became aware of you and your work was that there was a 10 minute presentation that was forwarded to me by one of our guests john o'donohue and that seemed to yeah. have created something of a stir in your circles yeah there's been a few people who've reached out to me for it um which has been really, it's been amazing. Like I'm, I'm very lucky. Uh, it was part of the British Association of Irish Studies uh, conference. We were meant to do it in person. And obviously because of the pandemic, it became an online event. And I, I put this conference paper up and so many people were interested and wanted to talk about it um, or just reached out to me to, to tell me their stories so generously. And, and it's been great. And it was just this little little presentation about passport paddies and hierarchies of Irishness. <laughs> well, we'll come on to such heady stuff later. But this all started, as I understand, from um, watching the rugby. Yes, the rugby. Always the rugby. Um, so my mother um, is a Irish immigrant, County Mayo, uh, a, a Devani like yourself. And... Um, I was born in Bedfordshire, uh, which is and like in quite a rural part of Bedfordshire, tiny little village, don't have a shop. And uh, the rugby was a big part of, of our lives. My parents and my family more generally really into sport and any excuse to have sport on, have some friends around and have some food and some beers. And we, the Six Nations were like the highlight of the year. And we would have all of our friends, my parents' friends and like, my mum's best friend is my best friend's mum. So like they'd all come around and, and we'd watch the rugby. And my, especially on the Ireland England games, particularly on the Ireland England games, it was my mum in a room full of English people. And obviously she's there in her Irish jersey and everyone else is in their English jerseys. Um, and she's the only one cheering for Ireland. And so I cheered for Ireland with her. Like this is from the age of four, five, six, like very young, always cheered for Ireland. And um, my mum has a tricolour flag. Uh, there's, there's no St George's flag allowed in the house. <laughs> she did let us have England football jerseys for the World Cups, but she was drawing a line at a flag. And I would, especially like if Ireland had won, um, I'd run up and down the road with the flag tied to my back. Um, and if Ireland had been England, I would hang it out the front of the house or our neighbour was Welsh. And when Ireland beat Wales, I'd go and like knock on his door wearing my flag. 
and it made me feel very I was very like outwardly patriotic for Ireland and I think in in like solidarity with my mum <laughs> Um, whereas my brother would support Wales because it was in between the two. Right, you are. That's um, it's interesting though, isn't it? Ireland had um made itself known internationally as far as um support was concerned, particularly with um, with with, with the uh, with the Italian ninety World Cup, and an awful lot of an awful lot of my interviewees are sort of cited that as a, something of a turning point in the way that the that the, the Irish diaspora tended to present themselves in this country. I think there has been. I think the whole of the nineties were very transformative. Um, Nineteen ninety four was the year that uh, Ireland qualified for the World Cup and England didn't, and I was six months old at the time. And there's a picture of me in a high chair, gripping two little Ireland flags with an Ireland hat and an Ireland t-shirt on, because my mum really really took all the liberty she could there she was absolutely thrilled um that england hadn't qualified um but you know i think the 90s more broadly um obviously you have had arguably a a de-escalation in tensions um between the two nations in terms of the the northern irish conflict um and the eventual signing of the good friday agreement and so the the sort of negative relationships of the 1980s um we're still there like don't get me wrong like those tensions are still present but they were definitely less comparatively and you had as you say italian 1904 and 1990 you had the 1994 world cup you had jack charlton you had the the beginning of boy zone and westlife um and bewitched and these big irish bands who were kind of selling a different form of irishness so suddenly we're speaking about Ireland in this country it, it was being i i mean in my thesis i argue that it, it was depoliticized through the 1990s and the 2010s and just like the the first half of the 21st century really just been depoliticized by this sort of like pop culture movement the sports um from ireland and that sort of helped de-escalate the tensions and change the way that we perceive irishness in england um i was speaking to my mum the other day and she was saying um, she emigrated in 1985 and she walked out of work at one point um, and left and said she wasn't coming back and that because she was getting so much like, I mean, it's difficult calling it racism because of all the, the rightly so, like the, the, the negative sort of connotations. And, but she was getting so much bigotry towards her for being Irish. Uh, that she she walked out of work um and for me that seems like such a foreign foreign concept like because i'm in this generation where suddenly it's like a trendy thing to have an irish granny um and that was so close to like my lifetime um, why would you shy away from calling it racism do you think i i wouldn't necessarily shy away from it i think there are really unhelpful parallels particularly in the last six months that have been drawn between um irish migration and the irish cause um and rightly like the the bigotry that has been shown towards irish people and um this the slave movement uh, the slave trade and things like that and I, I don't believe that those are helpful or in any way comparable um i do think there is anti-irish racism i think particularly in the 1980s um and probably before that but i don't necessarily think within our our current context racism i don't know that it i don't it's really difficult because i'm like is it racism is it different is it a different form of bigotry i I don't know what it is exactly but i don't like 
I think probably anti-Irish racism is potentially a better way to describe it, but I, I don't like, I wouldn't want to be drawing parallels between that situation and um, the racism that is, is seen towards um, BAME communities in this country, particularly contemporarily. You're listening to The Plastic Podcast's Tales of the Irish Diaspora, We All Come From Somewhere Else. Nevelier is something of a first for The Plastic Podcasts, being the only one of my interviewees thus far to be part of that legendary group, The Millennials. I wanted to know a bit more about growing up plastic in the 90s. I was a very pale, red-headed child who had a name that... Um, especially when we had supply teachers, they'd go be going down the register and they'd stop at my name because they couldn't pronounce it. And I think in a lot of ways, like I, I displayed my Irishness as like a, a counter towards that. Like it's like, why is your name spelled funny? Oh well, I'm Irish. Um, and I was always very proud of it. And I think my mum raised us to be very outwardly Irish. And I, I do looking back on it, I think in some ways that's a from speaking to other people who I've researched, um, I think it's a very similar experience. A lot of people, their parents really pushed Irishness. Um, and in some ways, I think that was their defence against the fact that they left, um, was really like channeling home the Irishness in their children. So going to that, because it's, 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 quite, it's quite interesting because um, you represent a, 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 new, a different generation to the ones that we, that we normally interview. Yes. Here. And, it's, 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 and, and likewise, the same is true of your mother um, coming across in the 1980s rather than, say, in the 1950s and 1960s. Yes. And the, what, what, what was it that brought her across? Um, she first came across like the early 1980s in the mm-hmm. summers to work, um, as did all of her siblings. Um, uh, and like her brothers were working uh, usually in sort of construction jobs and she was working as a receptionist I think um, in a swimming pool which my dad was running um, and that was how she met my dad and so she was coming over in the summers to work and then eventually she came over for a weekend or for a visit or something and then never went back and just stayed sort of by accident. So it was partly economics and partly because she met my dad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, I think that just in the 1980s, that the economic situation in Ireland wasn't great. So I think she probably would have ended up emigrating anyway. It just would have happened at the same time. Would she have emigrated to London? Like who knows, but out of her, She's one of five and all but one of them left. And I think that's mm-hmm. quite a, a common tale, um, particularly for the West of Ireland and particularly at that sort of, that sort of time. And uh, so what does she do now? Now she is a kept woman at the moment. Uh, she uh, works in a bank. Uh, she worked for RBS for most of my life. And then as I got older, um my Irish grandmother came to live with us and my mum cared for her while she was sick and then my brother was sick for a bit so my mum cared for her and she's been she's been caring for people for the last decade really um my dad's mum and my dad's dad uh and now she's just having a bit of time to herself hopefully enjoying it you know she's getting on a bit You um you say you were uh, born and raised in Bedfordshire. I think it's yes. uh, towards Milton Keynes area, isn't it? 
yeah, sort of between Bedford and Milton Keynes, Master Mortain. Uh, and, and, and what was the family home like? Was it was it uh, was like uh, loud and boisterous? Was it quiet and calm? What was it like? Oh no, it was very. My parents worked really long hours and they worked really hard, but it was always there was always people around. It, there was always family visiting. There was always food going. Do you know, there were it was busy and there was music and there was fun. Like it, it was a really fun household um there was always some level of sport on or we were going somewhere to do something or visiting someone or someone was coming to see us like it was it was very busy sports a big thing with your family yes huge huge i don't think there's a sporting competition that doesn't grace the tv screens in the little household um my dad's really into sport my brother's really into sport my mum's really into sport um so yeah, football, rugby, tennis, snooker. I remember being forced to watch it. My Irish grandma loved snooker, loved it. And we used to, have to sit and watch snooker game after snooker game after snooker game. Um, and then there was cards. We played a lot of cards. when I, I mean, we still play a lot of cards comparatively to a lot of other families. But as I've grown up and I've gone to other places and been into other people's households, just something like, oh, wait, you, you don't play cards? Whereas like it's seen as a cardinal sin to shuffle in a particular way in my house. Like my, my granny would like, she would lose her shit. You couldn't, you couldn't be shuffling with the deck facing outward. And every single time I force my boyfriend to play cards, I'm like, you can't shuffle like that because he would, that was never, do you know what I mean? Like it was such a big thing in our household and it just, it just hasn't been for a lot of other people. I don't think. Um, And with, with the aunts and uncles who came across um is it much the same with them my mum's twin brother is in london um and their house is always absolutely just busy people doing stuff my uncle's so loud um he's deaf in one ear and um he's just very shouty and wonderful uh and my aunt is in america she's got a very she's got three kids very busy i think they're all i think it's just i don't know whether that's the family or what it is but it's always sort of go 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 like there's always food offered do you know what i mean like you could drop by with two minutes notice and there'd be there'd be food waiting for if you needed it and just a lovely welcoming like kind and giving sort of family um space that i was brought up in and i think as you get older i mean i say that i'm not that old but you you appreciate that more because you learn that not everyone has that same setup or that same situation and and it is really a wonderful thing like my aunt god bless her um for my degree we were doing a field trip to new to new york and i text her being like hey kiss can me and some of my friends come and stay (laughs) so i bought four girls and just dumped ourselves on her for easter one year um and she's not a bother do you know, she, like they're just wonderful, wonderful people. And so that actually brings us very, very neatly onto um, your academic career, I suppose. Which is, um, uh, were you always a were, were you a studious child at school? Oh God, no! I was a very lazy student. Um, at, like at school, I I I did my work in lessons no bother absolutely fine but I was I found school it sounds really stuck up I don't mean like that but I found the academic system 
in like in in like secondary school like relatively easy like I understood it I knew how to do it I knew how to pass an exam I kind of had the knack to it and I, I I've worked in education for a bit and it is a knack like you can be very very intelligent but if you don't know how to pass the exam you're not going to pass the exam and so I was just very lazy because I knew I could do it and I was I worked hard I don't mean like I didn't work hard but I I, I think what really got me when I got to university was that suddenly I did have to work um whereas I, d- I hadn't had to before um so I would it, I mean even once I'd finished my undergraduate degree I would never have ever have imagined I'd be doing a PhD what do you what, what, what do you what do you folks think about um about about the potential of Dr Neve Lear I think they're just astounded um my I'm very lucky uh, both my grandmothers live with me um my dad's mum for pretty much all of my life and my grandmother for five or six years of my life and my nan was so proud god bless her soul um she had a little um photo frame that was up in her living room that had uh my undergraduate graduation picture my master's graduation picture and then in the middle there was a picture of my dad when he graduated from his uh a, a course that he did at some point and she's like that's in there as a placeholder until you've got your doctorate <laughs> god rest her soul um and i think my like my parents neither of my parents uh, well my mom dropped out of university to move to england and marry my dad um so neither of my parents have a have a degree um at, well, a university degree like they didn't go to university and go and get their degree and do what i've done and i think they're just amazed they're very supportive i remember when i was looking to go to university and and um it wasn't the sort of thing that was questioned by my school. Like it was like a, you're a high achieving student, obviously you're going to go to university. And I remember going to my parents and talking about it. And my dad was like, yeah, go to university, but don't go unless you know what you want to do. Mm. And like, that was, a, no one had ever said that to me before because it was just sort of like our education system is very geared towards just going to university. And I, and I don't think it's the right thing for a lot of people. And I think it's really detrimental to a lot of people to be pushed into it or not be given the opportunity to think about it. And my parents were very big on me thinking about it. And I really, really appreciate that. And I think I was very lucky to have that. And um, as much as I have no idea how I ended up doing a PhD, <laughs> um, at least it was um, going into my undergraduate at least it was very thought through um but no i think they're, they're very proud of me well, of course. shocked shocked of course. mostly <laughs> well good lord i mean so I, I i i feel proud myself because let's face it I'm, I'm i'm possibly a member of the family by extension well yeah you're 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 you must be a cousin or something when we do the, uh, the, I don't know if you've seen the the, uh, the the website that we have, but we've got um, uh, we, we we do the, the 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 Irish the Irish crest or shield or whatever, however they uh, they like to sell um, placemats and tablecloths and 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 uh, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and and coasters nowadays and that sort and of so stuff. Forth. Um, so I may well have have the because I'm I'm not sure that there's one for Lear. I don't um, think there will be. 
No. So would you mind if we did the Devani one? No, go for it. Do the Devani one. But it's a really weird one because it's, it's, it's kind of the red hand of Ulster. Yeah, we're kicked out by the Brits. <laughs> uh, I'm funded by the ASRC and my conference last year was in Belfast. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Belfast for the first time in my life and I was like, all those, and I, so I was in Palestine in June and had been and I'd seen the walls and like, um, it was an incredible trip, like you, you must go, <laughs> um, but did that. And then I was in Belfast like three months later and I was like, oh my God, there's, there's walls up, like still up here, the same as I've seen in, in Palestine. Do you know what I mean? Like walls dividing communities. And I was just like absolutely shocked and astounded that as someone who has lived in this country my whole life, I had never been made aware or I'd never realised. I Like I knew that there was stuff going on, but I just, I didn't realise that there were still walls. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it was like the, the troubles were sort of a thing that sort of happened maybe, but it, it's, it's ongoing and it's, it's painful and it the scars are still there like physically across the landscape and and it is shameful and it is frustrating when people don't recognize it or talk about it and I think the the amount of people in my life who voted for Brexit and who lived through the troubles and who when I said to them after the Brexit vote being like well what about Northern Ireland and what about the situ- like is can you not see how this is going to complicate the situation in Northern Ireland and they're like I never even thought of that and I was like war was happening in our country like whatever your your feelings on, on Northern Ireland are like it, it was happening in somewhere that is ruled by the British government like in in the country that, that you live in that was going on and you just forgot about it and it didn't occur to you like it it's so so it's shocking and it really speaks to the ignorance um within i don't want to say the british public like it is within the british public but the ignorance is facilitated by the fact that we we seem to want to just erase anything that might look negatively on on britain from our education system and from our history history syllabus and just the fact that people can forget do you know what I mean like it's uh, it's just shocking you've been listening to the plastic podcasts tales of the Irish diaspora we all come from somewhere else with me Doug Devaney and my guest Neve Lear music by Jack Devaney find out more about us and subscribe at www.plasticpodcasts.com Or you can pay us a visit through Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. The Plastic Podcast has been sponsored using public funding by Arts Council England.